I feel funny walking up carrying a table. But uh, anyway, this is, these are my notes, so you won't be here long. It's like a, t- a time and three words, so this will be fast. Um, no, thanks for having me. I, I'm, I, the two greatest things I've ever learned in my life um, is my identity that God calls me and how to hear from God. Those are the two greatest um, things I know. And it took me a long time to figure out that I didn't know those things. You know, you don't know what you don't know. That's a problem. We don't go to things because we don't know what we don't know about, so we don't go. And so there's a tendency to live a very average, kind of meaningless life because you think you know what you know, but you actually don't know. Right? So if that's not confusing for you this early, um, this will get more confusing. Hold on. So, so I, I, I want to talk about identity, and we're going to dis, do this series at K2 on identity and hearing from God. I promise you, this, this, will, be, this will just change everything about the way you think about everything. Um, I promise you. So I, I'm encouraging you to come to this. I remember a long time ago um, when I was out, we, we were out working in, among Muslims and uh, terrorist kind of things, and the guy that was training me... Uh, he, I, he, I've been under his training for three years at that time because it takes a long time to learn this stuff and not get killed. And so he was watching me interact with this group, this particular group. And when we were done the meeting, he said to me, he said, you, don't, you can't hear from God, can you? That's what he said after observing me. You can't hear from God, can you? And I'm like, how, do, how, do you, how can you tell that? Like, how do you know? And he said, because all you're doing is imitating other people when you talk. Wow, do you ever think about that? And I thought, is that I am? And he said, you're just imitating me. He said, and you don't do it well. You know, you're not, it's not that good. (laughs) Do you think about, are you just imitating things that you hear? Is that what you're doing? Christians are famous for this. You go hear some famous person and you start talking like them. I think that's an insult to the God that created you, that you're acting like somebody else. What an insult. And how much are you missing about who you are and what you can do in life? And so he challenged me. He said, he said I'm going to send you to somebody that can teach you how to hear from God. He didn't do that kind of training, apparently. And so he sends me to this other guy. And this other guy, like, I mean, in 24 hours, he just explained a few things to me, did a couple of things, exercises with me, and my whole world opened up to this whole new stuff I've never even considered about myself, about the world, about our work among Muslims, about my vocation and my profession, all those things. And we started on this, my wife and I, it dramatically affected our kids, it's funny, our kids, I was telling someone yesterday, so our, our, because our kids grew up in really tumultuous situations around the world. The, the oldest one graduated from high school in Indonesia, and when we lived in Indonesia, the government collapsed for a year. For one year, it was total chaos. No police, no army, no anything. And we, we lived through that one whole year of just, it was crazy. And he graduated in that time. And then we moved to Iraq, 
And our second son graduated in Baghdad in 2003 and 4. We were there. And it was a crazy time. We lived on a street. We had no security because of what we did. So we just lived out in the city and, you know, just bombings every night and all kinds of shootings and firefights and M1 tanks going up and down our street. And, and our, our number two son graduated in that environment. And number three son graduated in Jordan in an in a all-Arabic school. All of them, you know, are bilingual or trilingual. Goes to an Arabic school by himself. His brothers were already gone, so he starts in ninth grade by himself, the only American in an Arab school, and goes there for four years until he graduates. And, and people ask us, are they okay? <laughs> like, are they all right? And I say, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're the oldest one. It's interesting. It's fascinating how his identity was shaped in those places. I like this. The child dedication is important because when you dedicate your child to God, you're saying to God, be careful when you do this. You're saying, God, let me raise my child in the way that you made his identity to be. And he may tell you, well, you need to take that kid to Indonesia then. Be careful dedicating your kids to God. Tell the truth when you do it. Don't dedicate them like it's some tribal right to make your kids safe the rest of their life. That's a mistake. That's not true. That's, that's introducing your kid to a world of deception and lies. But the oldest one, coming through that incredibly unstable environment where people were burning down houses up and down our street of foreigners, which we were, up and down our street, that son... Uh, he graduated from American University uh, with international relations, a minor in Arabic. He led his Arabic professor, who was the former ambassador from Syria to the U.S., he led his professor to Christ, and that professor hired him the day he graduated, and he's worked for that company in Iraq and Afghanistan for five years, and now they're putting him through law school. He's, a, he's almost ready to graduate. And so he's gone into this career, it's interesting, of bringing stability to the world. Isn't that interesting? That's how God shaped him. He needed that unstable time to love stability. And he's, uh, he's, um, he's like committed to going into unstable regions and bringing stability as a part of the kingdom of God. Number two son grew up in Baghdad. Our whole team was killed in Baghdad. Whole young, older part of our team was killed in one day in one event in Baghdad. And I had to go with the FBI to identify the bodies of our team. And that son left Baghdad when he was 17 um, because he finished high school and because it was dangerous for him to be in high school. So he graduated. He went to California to go into university at age 17. He is now an FBI agent. And he, he was five years in Atlanta Police Department, and the reason the FBI came to get him, came to recruit him, was because crime in his zone went down 40% in his first three months on the street. And they're like, how in the world did you do that? His answer was, lead the prostitutes to Christ. That was his answer. And they said, what academy did you go to? And he said, the Jesus Academy. <laughs> and now he works for them. Isn't that interesting how that unstable time, that deadly time, 
in Baghdad, which you would think would be the worst place to raise a kid, was exactly the right place for him to come into his true identity with God. Who would have known that? Who would have known that as a parent? I know, let's take him to Baghdad. Number three, son, trilingual, graduates. Um, he was the first kid ever in, in Jordan um, to ever score a perfect score. He was in the British system on the A-level exams, a perfect score. He, he, he became the first sponsored Red Bull skater in the Middle East, skateboarder in the Middle East. The king of Jordan gate, donated land to him and his friends for a skate park in Amman, Jordan, which is now open. It's called Seven Hills Skate Park. All, and then he went to business school in Boston, and now he works um, for a social media company in New York City. And that kid is committed to using social media to reach Muslims. They're going to start an all-Arabic social media company to reach Muslims for Christ. Yeah, who'd have thought that he needed to go to school in an Arabic school to do that? When they're together, they're so different, they're so uniquely different that the younger one, who's much more um, politically active, calls our FBI son the henchman of the oligarchy. And they battle back and forth. It's so hilarious to watch them. And the older ones just, I said yesterday, he's just going to sue both of them for something. I don't know why. <laughs> but they're unique identities and they love each other. And they're across the spectrum politically. It's really fascinating. But they're united in Christ in their mission in the kingdom. How do you know how to do that? The only way you know is to know your own identity. That's the, always the first step, to just know your own identity. Like once you know that, then you kind of know what to do. Does that make sense? So this morning, I got up and I had this really good idea of what I wanted to do, but the Lord d does this to me and so he messed me up. Because right when I was, I was like, I had this idea. I might, I might do it in the second service. If you want to hear the really good idea, come to the second service. <laughs> but I got this text this morning, like at 5 a.m., my, my phone goes off. And the first text is young men and women that we trained in the Middle East. In fact, they're the, they were the younger part of the team that, that survived in Baghdad. They all are still there. They were 22 and 23 when, the, when our other part of our team was killed. They're all in their mid-30s now, and they're all spread out. They never left. They never left after that event. They, they've found their husbands and wives out there. They've stayed out there. They're raising their kids out there. They're getting ready. To, uh, a couple of them are getting ready to go into Syria. They're waiting to go into Syria. They're down in Libya. This is how they live. They're crazy. But they know their identities. And they're immortal until the will of God is done in their life. That's what they think. That's what they believe. Anyway, they were texting back and forth among each other about something they're planning. And it's just an honor to be in their link. To watch them talking about things we used to tell them when they were 22. And they're actually doing it. We could never do it. They're doing it. And then the next text was the one that really messed me up. It was this text. So you get these texts that says... Where are you? And I don't know who it is. 
Do you ever get those? Where are you? And, and I don't, do you, is it a trick? Is it a trap? What do you do? How do you respond back? And so I said, where are you? You know, like. <laughs> and the person texts back, you don't know who this is, do you? <laughs> and then you just, you know, it's just like, do I? <laughs> you know, it's this little game. Like, how long are we going to play this? Just say your name, please. Anyway. So he, he sends me his picture, and it's this guy, and it just wrecked me this morning. It was, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to talk about identity, obviously, and I want to use Paul, as the Apostle Paul, as a launching point on identity. Um, and, and in, so I'm going to talk from Acts chapter 9 and Galatians chapter 1. Acts 9, 1 through like 17, and Galatians 1 really 15 and 16. That's where I'm going to speak from. Um, but I want to say something about this guy first. So this guy that texted me um, this morning, his name is Zach. And three years ago, I was speaking at something in Houston and this man, a men's thing, and this man comes up to me and he says, hey, I know this guy. He's really struggling. He won't come to church. He doesn't like church, all this stuff. He's a young guy in his 20s. Will you go meet with him? You know, every time I put my hands in my pockets, my FBI son said to me, Dad, when you put your hands in your pocket, people don't trust you. So, um, sorry about that. I don't have some FBI thing. If you're talking to an FBI, keep your hands out of your pockets. There's something you didn't think you were going to get this morning. Uh, you don't know what you don't know, do you? So, anyway, so I, so I said, yeah, you know, okay. He said, He'll, he wants to meet with you on Sunday. Well, I was speaking that Sunday in three services, and so, cause, and so my wife was like, you know, do you really want to go talk to someone you don't know after three services? And I said, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I want, want, I want to meet this guy. So I speak in the three services. And when it's over, I go out into the foyer. And the guy says, okay, he's, out, he's standing out there outside. He won't come in the church. <laughs> I'm like, what? is he like a vampire or something? Why? Why won't he can't come in? And... Uh, <laughs> And so, I, and my wife is like, do you really, do you really want to do this? Are you really ready for this? And I said, yeah. So the guy says, he doesn't, he doesn't have a driver's license um, because of, he, he, does, he lost, you know, he's been arrested enough times. He doesn't have a driver's license. So I'll take him to a place, and if you just meet him there, or you can ride with us. I'm like, nope. I'll, I'll get my wife to drop me off, and I'll meet you there. So we arrange it. We go. Donna's driving me over there and she goes, you know, this just doesn't sound good, does it? And I said, yeah, but now I'm super interested in what's going to happen here. So I said, okay, so 60 minutes, be back here to get me. Just like, let's just say one hour and be back here to get me. If, if it's like amazing, I'll just text you and say, come later. She said, okay. So she drops me up. I go into the re this little restaurant in this strip mall, and I go in there, and the guy's sitting in there. I walk up to him. He doesn't get, he doesn't stand up or anything. He just looks at me. He doesn't say anything. And I said, hey, my name's Jamie. He goes, I know. And then he pull. I'm not kidding, in the restaurant, he pulls out a cigarette and lights it in this restaurant. And everyone goes berserk. Like, hey, you can't smoke in here. And he gets up, and he just starts cussing them out, waving his cigarette at him. Like, I'm like, get my phone out. Donna, now. Come get me now. Like, this is not going to go anywhere. 
He's going to jail. I'm walking out. Come, and she, I, she, it, she won't respond. She doesn't respond to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I say to the guy, look, look, let's just walk outside, man. You don't have to get in this big thing. Let's walk outside. You can smoke outside. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Let's go out there. And so he walks outside, you know, and we sit down. And for, I don't know, 57 minutes, all this guy does is cusses me out. Now, he doesn't even take a breath. It's remarkable. It was remarkable. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't know there were that many bad words. Like, it was just unbelievable. I was like, and there's another one. Wow. And, and he's like, and he's just cussing me out, and he hates God, and he hates the Holy Spirit, and he hates Jesus. I mean, he works his way through the Trinity. Through the Trinity, he does the whole thing. And I'm like, I'm surprised we're, you're not dead. The way, I mean, he's cursing God and screaming and yelling, and I'm like, I'm just watching him. I know, like, and so I figure, this guy has to be demon-possessed. I mean, so while he's yelling, I just, I, you know, just quietly, I'm like, and, I, and Satan, I just rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I just rebuke you in the name of Jesus. No effect. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, this is how he is normally. <laughs> like, there's not even a demon here, and this is how he is. Oh, my gosh. I'd never seen this. Like, I can't even slow him down. Like, that was my biggest weapon right there. I have nothing else to do except listen to this. So he's cussing me out. Finally, he takes a breath, and I say, who hurt your feelings, man? Who hurt you? Who hurt you? And he just stares at me, and I said, someone hurt you so bad. And I'm guessing it was when you were young, and it was somebody in the church who hurt you, who broke your spirit. Somebody broke your spirit. Who did it? And he just stared at me. And, like, and I'm like, oh boy, we're going to break through. And then he goes. And then, bam, he just starts again. And he just cusses and swears and cusses and swears. And finally, out of just God's mercy, Donna drives up. And I just get up and I go, I shake his hand and go, nice meeting you. And I jump in the car and drive away. Like, that was the end. You thought that was going to be a good story, didn't you? <laughs> it, it wasn't. That was it. It was terrible. And... And then he texted me this morning. No, <laughs> I haven't seen him since then. So we're driving away, and Donald's like, how was that? I was like, that was the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. I said, like, six sentences, and she goes, that is incredible. That, that's all you said. Like, no, this guy can talk faster and more than me. And he can cuss, like, I mean, he's the most prolific swearer I've ever heard in my life. It's, it was almost genius level. He could make them nouns, adjective, adverbs is unbelievable. Um, and so, and Donna's like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, there's that, I mean, there's, I have nothing I can do there. Absolutely nothing I can do there. Nothing. And so I go home and, and I, and I, like, we do this at the end of the day, just asking the Lord, like through the day, like, is there anywhere, anywhere through the day I didn't live out my true identity with you? Any time in the day where I walked in a false identity or ignored my own identity that you gave me. And the Lord's like, yeah, yes. And I'm trying to think when. Like with the guy. That guy? Yeah, that guy. Well, I didn't, I couldn't even say anything. I know, I, why didn't you set up another meeting with him? I'm like, you're kidding. Yeah, I want you to go meet with him again. 
And then, you know, then you know how like you check the receiver, you're like, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. Did you say go meet with this guy again? Like this guy is so closed up and tight. I don't, like I tried to cast out demons. They were, they, they're afraid of this guy. <laughs> they're not even there. So the Lord's like, no, I want you with him. I want you with him. I want him. I want this guy in the kingdom. I'm doing a work in his life. So, so I find the guy that hooked me up with him. I say, can you give me this guy's information? I get the guy's information and I text him. And I say, listen, if you ever want to get together again, uh, I will. I'll get together with you. He cusses me out on the text. <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh, this guy's just multi-talented. This is unbelievable. Like he just cusses me out in a text. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I don't know, what do you say? <laughs> That was brilliant how you did that. And then I just like, okay, Lord, I'll meet with them. But I don't know. You, I have no idea what to do. So I'm not going to. That's all I'm going to do. I will wait for you to like show me what to do. Weeks go by. One day he texts me. Can you come meet me at this place, at this restaurant? I'm like, I will meet you outside of the restaurant in a park. I told him, I'm not going inside unless I have time to go in and warn everyone in there to get out because <laughs> you're coming in here. I'm not kidding. This is how bad this guy was. Um, and so I go meet with him outdoor, outdoors. Same thing, cussing me. He's just unbelievable, just cussing, 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 swearing, mad at God. God heard him. God ruined him. He, and he actually knows the Bible very well. He starts quoting scripture very well. All this, all this. I don't say much to him. That's the end of that meeting. Okay, see you later. Thanks. Two months, he texts me. Can you meet me again? Yes. Outside. <laughs> he knows. I'll meet you outside. <laughs> Away from people. Yes. So we meet him again. I do this for one year. One year. I say nothing to this guy in one year. Just sit and listen to him. Screaming and yelling and blah, blah, blah. But here's the only thing I know. I can hear God, and God, this is what God keeps saying to me, I want you to outlove his hatred. I want you to outlove his hatred. That's what I want you to do. That means just listen. So I did. I just listened and listened and listened. One year. And then I started texting him, like, hey, man, you know, I'm praying for you today. He cussed me out. I got, that just makes me pray for you more, I'm telling you. So I learned. God's like... Stop backing off. Up it. He cusses, you pray more. Like, bring it. Don't quit, quit backing down. I'm like, oh, I get, ah, I see. So I start countering his hostility with more compassion and love. Until one day he calls me and he says, I want, I, can you come meet with me? Yes. And I go and meet with him. And he says to me, I want you to know how I describe you to my one friend. I'm like, I'd like to meet him one day. <laughs> no, never mind. No, I wouldn't. But he's, I said, okay. He goes, you're the first person I've ever known that just listens to what I say. And he goes, I want you to know it's the most me this is the most meaningful relationship I've ever had in my life. And he turned the corner. Just, I, I had not said anything. 
All I was doing was living out my identity in front of him. That's all. And God was just working, bam, bam, bam. And so over the whole next year, he started to tell me about himself. Oh my God, the tragedy of what's happened to him in his life. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and so I started to pump hope into him. I said, you know, what would you do if you could do anything you want? He goes, I would love to travel one day. And I said, okay, I'm taking you with me. I'm taking you with me the next time I go to a place where we might be killed. That's what I told him. <laughs> and we'll see what happens to you, because I know how to survive it. I, I'm a good at this. You may not make it. But, <laughs> but the thing is, he's a felon, and he's on probation. He's on probation. And so he can't get a passport for three years or something. And so I said, okay, so in the next three years... You have to stay sober, stay out of jail, which was challenges for him, and you have to get a passport. And if you will do that, I will walk with you into the future like you've never seen it before. And that has become his goal. And so now we text back and forth, are you sober? Do you have a passport? Yeah, that's how I text him all the time. Not yet. Not, I am sober, no passport yet. How long? Two more years. Can we speed up the process? That's what I said. Can we speed up the process? He said it would take an act of God. I'm like, <laughs> I would ask him for that act. And that's how he started praying. That's what made, see, what caused him to change was the hope of the future. The hope of that future to get him to lift his eyes up and look to what's real. Everything that he believed about himself is False. Everything that the world said to him about himself is false. From, from as long as he can remember to age 23, 24 when I met him. False. And the pain is so great because his spirit, his real spirit, his true identity is so damaged and hurt. It is shrieking out at the world in pain. And you know what the world does to a guy like this? Do you know what it does? It locks him up. He's saying, I'm so isolated and so alone, I'm going to do violence to get someone to pay attention to me. And here's our answer. Therefore, because you feel so isolated and so violent, we are going to lock you in a little room. That'll fix you. So that we don't ever have to worry about you again. Wow. So we lock him up. And he comes out more enraged. So... Let me tell you something about Saul of Tarsus. Before he's in his true identity, Paul. Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus grew up in a Pharisaical sect called Shammai. There were two competing groups of, of, of Jew, Judeus, Jew, Jewish leadership at the time of Jesus. The Hillel school and the Shammai school. Paul was kind of in between them, but drifted more towards this group. The Shammai group believed they carried around with them 18 reasons, 18 edicts they called them, 18 reasons why Gentiles should not exist on this planet. They hated immigrants, man. They hated refugees. They hated anyone except pure Jews. And so this sect used the Torah 
and the Talmud to justify the arrest and eradication of any non-Jew. And that school at the time of Jesus was the dominant school. Hillel school later becomes the more influential school. Gamaliel, who's Paul's great teacher, come out of the other school. They're very tolerant, peaceful, believe that the Jews should be reaching the whole world. But this other group was dominant at the time of Jesus. They were so dominant that they called a meeting one time with the Hillel school to discuss the edicts against Gentiles because the Hillel school said, we can't do this to Gentiles. We need Gentiles to convert into Judaism. We have to get them. But the Shammai school was like, no way. So they had a debate over whether to have the edicts or not. The Hillel school voted no. And so the Shammai school killed the Hillel representatives. That's how violent they were, zealous. They were for the purity of God's word and the Jewish race. These guys in this school would meditate on the Old Testament. And they meditated on Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 is called the the chariot throne of God. If you read that passage, it's Ezekiel describing the chariot throne of God. And so the Shammai school, they were so committed to God so sold out for God that their greatest hope was that one day they themselves would see the chariot throne of God and see God on the throne. And they knew that the day they saw that vision, that history would end, they would be made leaders because they were the only ones that were right. That's what they believed. And they were committed to it. And so Paul, Saul, is tremendously influenced by this group. The the, the saving factor for Paul was he was a Roman citizen and the Shammai school hated the Romans. So Paul could never quite get all the way in to that zealousness. It kind of bothered him in his false identity, but in his true identity, it was God's mercy that he was a Roman citizen. It protected him from this kind of total fundamentalism that would have just made him a lunatic. But he was pretty zealous. And see, we know in Acts chapter 9 that Paul, Saul, is going around and the description is he's breathing out hostility towards the followers of Jesus. He He hates them. He despises them. And so he's traveling around arresting them and having them killed. That's what he's doing. That's what his identity is doing. In that identity, this identity, he's filled with frustration and hatred and fear. He's afraid, what if we don't become pure? What if the Gentiles take over and the Romans already rule us? What if we lose? What can we do to protect our people, our nationality, our ethnic group? How can we protect it? We've got to get rid of these other people. This is what he's doing. And so he's going around having them arrested. And when they travel, these guys in the Shammai group would meditate. They would, when they ever had free time, they would look up and they would meditate on the chariot throne of God. And so Saul is riding one day to Damascus and probably that's what he's doing. He's looking up and he's praying, God, one day let me see your throne room. Just like Dave said, we, we, God asks us to come into the throne room right now. And so he's looking up like that at the throne room and suddenly he sees it. There it is. 
And it's stunning. And here's what he expects. It's going to be, it's going to be God. And God's going to say, well done. You are right. Thank you for purifying the world for me. You are right. You're a leader. History's going to end. And you're it. You're great. Fantastic. That's what he expects to happen. But he is so wrong. He is so wrong in the way he thinks. And so are we most of the time. Because who's sitting on the throne is Jesus. Oops. What are you doing on the throne? And Jesus says, you are not persecuting just my people. You are persecuting me. You are offending and hurting me. And history doesn't end. This is the middle of history. And you, my friend, are wrong at almost every level of who you think you are. And he's blinded by this. Like, like his whole vision of the future and everything is gone. Like what happened? And then this believer is sent to him, Ananias, who also needs a vision because I'm not going to that guy. That guy kills our people. Why would I go to him? If I sit with him, he just curses me the whole time. And then he kills my relatives. Why would I go to him? It takes a vision to get... Paul to wake up to what's true and it takes a vision to get Ananias to wake up to what's true. That God can win terrorists to Christ. Ananias doesn't believe that. Oh yes I can, calm. Ananias, calm in your true identity which is an encourager of men and come over here in your true identity and lead this guy into his true identity who is messenger to who? The Gentiles. Isn't that funny? (laughs) He's a messenger to the people he's committed his life to killing and destroying. Why? Why? Because nobody can defend a Gentile believer in front of Jewish law like the expert in the reason why they shouldn't be allowed in, Paul. That's the beauty of how God builds us. That's the amazement of what he's doing in your life. When Paul looks back on his life, he's like, oh my gosh, I was so wrong. And yet it was so right. It's not that God forgave him. It's that God redeemed his past and made it awesome. Do you see that? It's not that he looks back and goes, well, at least he forgives me for all the mistakes I made. No, he made him into something beautiful, a weapon against the enemy in the future. That's what happens when you learn your true identity. It's like, oh my gosh, God, like that, that was, you're going to make that good? You mean there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Yes. That past becomes not a hindrance to me, not a guilt, shame, but it's like a wave moving me forward. Once I was lost, now I am found. Once I was blind, now I can see. Oh my gosh, now I see the whole thing as it really is. And in Galatians, Paul says in chapter one, he says, in my mother's womb, I was set aside to reach the Gentiles. And at the right time, God made it known to me. Praise be to him. Praise be to him. And every Jew that hated Paul Every Gentile that feared him thanked God for the day that Paul was born because he moved into his true identity. What is your true identity? 
I, I said to Zach one day, the guy, when he, I saw his heart start to melt and God start to move inside of his heart just because I refused to shut him down. I refused to ignore him like everyone else does to him because they're afraid of him. And I, just, and I said to him, if you could help anyone in the world, to, who would you help? He said, I would help abused children. Why? He says, because I know what it feels like and I hate abuse. And all that hatred that he directed towards me and God and all that, when he met Jesus, all that hatred turned toward abuse. I hate abuse and I will commit my life with Christ to ending abuse. Who better than Zach? Who better than Zach? And Zach will say, what man intended for evil, God used for good. But I only can see it when I look up and see Jesus on the chariot throne of God saying, this is not your right identity. This is your right identity. Walk in it beyond all that you can ask or imagine. Go now, free, Paul, free. All your knowledge of Judaism, beautiful. All of your knowledge of Roman law and Greek Hellenistic thinking, amazing. But now, not destructive, redemptive. Now go, win the world. Redeem the world. Stop killing people. Bring life. Stop being dead and come alive. Stop killing people and bring life. I'm asking you this morning, as you go through studying identity here from God, stop being dead and be alive. Be alive in your true identity, hearing from God. Father, thank you for these people. I thank you so much for Zach, Lord. What a, what a joy to hear from him this morning. He, he, he texts me at the most beautiful times. I so love that guy, Lord. Thank you for not letting me walk away. Thank you for the honor of watching you work in this guy. What an honor. What a privilege. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, would you show us who we really are? Would you, would you encourage us to look up into the eyes of Jesus and come alive again? Be alive again. Be alive, stop being dead, be alive again. And Lord, would you bring life to dead things in our, around us? Make us alive, make us alive. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.